You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. Good morning. My name is Chad McKinley. I am excited to be able to just be here for Jeff this morning. He is on vacation, getting some time to relax. And Pastor Jeff, again, he opens his word. He he opens the word. He's such a great teacher. And so it is my pleasure to fill this pulpit, but also know that he does such a great job that at times can feel a little overwhelming. But thankfully, we have the resource to actually walk through. And today, I'm really excited because we are going to talk about a subject that is close to my heart. And so, as you may know, my, I'm, my, by the way, my name is Chad McKinley. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at Ascend. And one of the things that I do here at Ascend is oversee our soul care ministry. And so many of you might know that if you've been attending a while. Oftentimes when we hear soul care ministry, it's probably like, yeah, I know we have it, and I'm pretty sure it's back in that office somewhere. And there's a few counselors, and I think one of them's Chad. And like, yeah, when, when people have really big problems, they, they go over there. That's not what soul care ministry actually is. And so I get the opportunity today to actually share with you about our soul care ministry, the heartbeat behind it, and also just how it looks. And then we'll talk about who actually does it. And so hopefully as we walk through even today, you will be encouraged, you will be challenged, and then you will be empowered to actually live this out. And so one thing I want to do today is, first of all, we are going to go through three scriptures today. And each scripture really could have a sermon to itself. So for the next three hours, we're going to unpack this message. No. No, I understand that there's going to be a lot left. There's a lot more depth to these passages that we will be, not be able to cover. But hopefully I'll give you the glimpses and the insights behind why we do soul care here at Ascend. And so another thing that I want you to do is walk away and feel empowered to actually see how this works. See how you can actually take a situation, apply it, and be guided in it. And so, again, that would take also many hours to do. But hopefully through this summation, you'll just see the power of Christ utilizing a person's life and be encouraged then to talk with your friends or get help for yourself to walk through it. And so one resource I'll be using today, and this will, it's called Counseling the Hard Cases. And so this is a wonderful resource that really works through like things that as people we'd be like, wow, that is way out of my league, or nope, that's for the professionals. And What you'll find is that there's very hard issues, complex issues, that each case actually delves into. But what's great is that you see a counselor who uses God's word, guides a person through it, and you actually look at back at it after you read these and be like, oh, that didn't seem so bad. That actually was manageable. And so the case that we're going to look particular today is, uh, it's going to be a case, but his name is Tony he is a struggler who gets diagnosed with bipolar. And so a counselor named Garrett Higby walks him through this particular case, and they share insights from both sides of it as they walk through it. And so today I want to use parts of that. We're not going to read the whole thing, but parts of it to give you an idea of how this looks in someone's life. So before we begin, is what I want to do is just kind of give you an idea about who Tony is. So Tony, he's a man in his late 30s. He is married to his wife, Lisa. And one thing that Tony does, he has a passion for the Lord. And he wants to do a lot of work for the Lord. So he took two part-time jobs that were ministry jobs. And if you've ever been exposed to ministry jobs, part-time ministry jobs are really full-time ministry jobs. I'm just kidding. But What he was pouring into was the fact that he wanted to do all these things, and he was pouring his life. But of course, if you're working this, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, which he was doing, you can understand that what kind of toll that put on him. And so over time is he actually became more anxious, more depressed. He was more concerned with what's going on. 
He actually even started to neglect his body. And so he wasn't, in his overextending of himself, he was losing sleep. He wasn't eating properly. He wasn't finding time just to rest. And so over time, this just kept building and building and building in his life. Then one night, after a lack of sleep and being stressed out, his paranoia, his fear, his delusions really came to light. And it came in light through a conflict that he was having with his wife. And so uncharacteristically, Tony started to actually yell at his wife. But, and just uncontrollably unleash on her, which was not his characteristic of him. And then, in the middle of that, he would also cry uncontrollably. And so you can imagine Lisa as a spouse who's never seen this side of Tony, how panicked she was. And so out of her panic, fearing safety, she actually called 911. And so 911 came. They helped Tony get to a psychiatric hospital. And he stayed there for about 10 days. And things seemed to kind of level out. He seemed to get life back together. But through that process, through the doctors, through the psychiatrists, is that Tony walked away with the diagnosis of bipolar. Because of the depression, because of the manic, he fit the diagnosis. And what would be, you see, think refreshing, right? Usually a medical diagnosis can be more refreshing in a situation. In this situation, Tony and Lisa went home from the hospital with a feeling of emptiness and hopelessness. Because now Tony had this condition that he thought there was no way to change in. And he knew that was going to be heavy on his life, on his marriage, and on what he did. So what do we as Christians do? Do we point someone to therapy and say, go have the professionals will take care of that? Do we point people just to change their circumstances? That that's their hope? That if things just change, we got more sleep, ate better, like then you'll be okay? Or is there a better way? You see, I would propose that there is a better way. And this is the soul care ministry and the soul what we do as a church here at Ascent. You see, we talk a lot about soul care, but many of us don't understand what it truly is. And so if you can see from the big idea, I really try to break this down for you to understand what soul care is. It is a collective effort to give the help and hope of Christ to hurting people in all circumstances. And so today, as we look, we're going to unpack these three passages. And each passage, I want to answer a question that will help you understand soul care in a better way. So the first question I want to understand is, why do we do soul care? And so we're going to be looking at 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. And so if you, there's a Bible in front of you that if you don't, haven't brought one, you can use that one. And if you don't have one at home, please take it with you as a gift of a sin. And on that, so you can look in your Bible on page uh, 1018. You'll find the passage that we are talking about today. And so really what we have to consider is like, why as elders do we espouse and are passionate about soul care? When there's so many other things out there that are more modern. And so the thing that we want to see is that, first of all, is why is because we understand that the transformation of Christ is superior to anything else that can be offered from our world. And so if you have turned to 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, uh, we will start and it says... His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." 
So the first thing we see is that we are given an incredible power to, that's at work within our lives. And this incredible power is even shared more, or there's more details about it, in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. And so Paul, just praying over the people, he asks to, for understanding of what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly fathers. So the first thing we find is actually incredible hope because we find that God's power is at work within our life. And for most of you, if you are a Christian, a believer, and even has sat in church for a while, you will see that, yes, this power is talked about a lot in salvation, that we are changed, we are made dead to life, and that is true. But so often we go forward in life and we don't realize the same power is actually at work in our own sanctification and growth. What's incredible is just the amount of power, right? The amount of power that's given. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead is at work within your life. And God does not promise to us that we will just get this power to have an easy life. But he promises the power to give you the ability to walk in all things in this life in a godly manner. All things. And so when we consider that, like we have the resource, the capability beyond what we could ever comprehend to face whatever trial we walk into, God promises he's at work. He's using his power to help you walk through it. And this power transforms the mind, transforms the heart, gives us the ability to walk in the newness of life. So when we consider why we do soul care, it's because we want to give people more than what soothe their life, make their life easy. No, we want to give people the truth that points them to the Savior who will radically change them in the middle of these circumstances and hardships they are walking through and the struggles they have. And so we can find that, that this power first starts in salvation. In fact, salvation is summed up in the next phrase, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And so this knowledge isn't just a knowledge like, oh, yeah, I know what the Bible says about Jesus. Ah, I know he's a good guy, great guy. No, this, this knowledge he's talking about is actually the personal knowledge of being in relationship with Christ. And so it takes you trusting, making commitment to follow Christ, to believe that his death and resurrection saves you. And what's great is then when he calls us to, he calls us to his own glory, which glory points to the inheritance we actually receive in Christ, and this is really uh, talking about the greatness or the splendor or the majesty, but really what it's emphasizing is the fact you have to have glory, Christ's glory, to be able to actually walk in the newness of life with God, being in his presence. And so now we get to inherit that and get to live in union with God, with Christ, in order to have a relationship with him. And so... <clears throat> The other thing it talks about is just the excellence that we have, the ability to live holy in this life. And so excellence is, when we talk about holiness, it's more than just moral rightness. I think that's when we, I've heard that term a lot, and it's like, yeah, okay, moral rightness. No, it's more to the gear of completeness. So God transformed us, gave us a new life that actually gives us the ability to live righteous and holy. And so with that ability to live in right relationships, to respond in a godly way, it's all at your disposal when you come to Christ. And the great thing is then we get to live in this world just as Christ did. And so when you give soul care, you give the opportunity to experience the blessings or of living in God's promises and the divine nature. Look at what the next phrase is. It says, but by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. We're going to get more in depth about what God's word offers us. But one thing I think we have a misconception of is just as Ben shared with us is like oftentimes what we do incorrectly is actually to look at this word and say, okay, this gives us the do's and the don'ts for life. But no, it actually gives more than that. 
You see, according to this passage, one thing it gives is the God's very great and precious promises. And so when we can look at this word, it talks about God's character. It talks about the promises he has for our life. It talks about then what we should do and how we should live. And so I'm just going to share a few of these promises from different scripture. But one thing that you have to be reminded of is God does not promise the easy life. A life that has just, you know, fleeting circumstances or objects. He does not promise that. Instead, he promises something better. In fact, in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You see, God promises to listen to you, which is incredible, right? So often I sit in small groups and one of the requests of like how I need to grow is always like, I need to pray more. I'm like, me too. But here's the thing, like, if we comprehended what we actually get to do, again, the God of the universe, he's much larger than we are, much more holy. He asks and wants us to come to him and give him our request when we're in trouble, when we're experiencing hardship, when we just need the energy to walk through life. He says, come, I will listen. But he also doesn't just say, I'll stop there. He says, I will go beyond your expectations. I will give you the grace and mercy in time of your need. It's an incredible truth. And so there's just one. Philippians 4.4 talks about the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. This is incredible too. The Lord promises intimate presence in your life to walk alongside you when things are hard. Because that's what Philippians 4, he's always with us. He's always walking with us. He's always in a relationship. What a marvelous truth. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life from love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do. He promises to provide us and promises that he'll always remain in a relationship with us. Always being that caring for us. What a marvelous promise. See, what the greatest promises that we have in his word are not the ones that are temporal or fleeting, but they're actually the ones that he gives that where he is pour, outpouring himself into our lives and his relationship with us. And so this outpouring really leads to amazing, incredible blessings. You can see the result of the salvation we are given and all God being involved in our life. It says, so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Because of God's salvation, then we get the opportunity to experience the divine nature. Now, what I'm not saying here is that you guys, if you believe in Jesus Christ and are saved, is that now somehow you become God's. Not what it's talking about in this passage. No, this divine nature is actually that as Christ took on flesh, walked this earth, is that he had incredible blessings outpoured because of who he is as God and because of his right, perfect relationship with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. There was so much more that he had that no man could ever comprehend, nor man will ever know or understand fully until the other side of eternity. But... This is something we promises we will can experience and have parts of. In fact, Galatians 22 through 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And what I would say is that the divine nature summed up would be from these verses. That the outpouring of what the Lord wants to do in our life and give to us is what we find. And so in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is what it looks like to live in the Spirit. And living in the Spirit means then we get to escape the corruption that is in the world. doesn't mean that we get to not experience it, but escape it because we are no longer subject to sin. And you are suffering in the same way. God gives more. So what does that look like? Well, for the bitter person, the miserable person, 
Well, now they can actually love other people. For the fearful, the one who's scared each and every day, can actually experience joy. The person who's just captive to their anxious thoughts, to their worries, can now actually experience peace. The one who's quick-tempered or manic can actually live patiently. The wicked person can live in goodness. The sexually immoral or addicted person can actually have faithfulness to God and their spouse and their life. The person who is just overwhelmingly controlled by anger can actually experience gentleness. The addict or the alcoholic, the one who just can't seem to stop, can actually find self-control. So how did Tony find deliverance through Christ? Well, when he was actually sitting there with Garrett, and Garrett was sharing his counsel, he was actually given a new way of looking at his problems. See, that impulsivity and manic, that episodes that he was experiencing or living out, well, now he can see those as foolish thoughts and behavior. Instead of thinking, I need to do this, I'm controlled, I have to do this, he actually saw that, no, these are actually desires and demands that I can go against. Instead of feeling stuck, he found tremendous relief and repentance. And knowing God's long-suffering, kindness, and love are all things that freed him. See, Tom found hope with recognizing that he could trust and abide with Christ through circumstances, feelings, and thoughts. I think Garrett sums well, up well what he was able to provide Tony. He said, a balanced approach that combines truth and grace will bring conviction of sin, but it also focuses on the power of the gospel and living in relationship with Christ. He needed to what God had declared for him in regard to his identity, and he needed God's grace to enable him before trying to work in God's strength to please him. See, soul care is not just telling people, like, that's wrong and this is right. Soul care is about showing people Christ and the transforming power that actually can be at work in their life to actually overcome what they're struggling with. And ultimately, is what we give is we give hope to actually escape and live in righteousness with God despite who we are. And that gives freedom in Christ that freedom in Christ can be experienced by the person who's being held captive by their sin or their struggle with life. So the first thing that I ask is, like, like, where are you? Where are you? Because the first thing is you have to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to be saved. And we talk about that a lot, but that's where it first has to happen because you need the transformation to actually live in this life. It's a hard life. It's a difficult life. It's a life with curves and uncertainties. And if you don't have Christ, it's going to be being tossed to and fro by whatever's going on in your life. So I'd say make it today, the day you actually trust in Christ as your Savior. Others of you are saved by God, but do you still have the awe of his amazing transformation? Do you really come to his word and think about the salvation you're given? Is there an awe? Or do you think there just needs to be something else? Something else I need to, in order to live pleasing to God. Because so many times we actually replace Christ and the salvation and dependence on him. And we look to dependence on other things that, are far, that fall far short. And maybe you love Christ, but you just don't trust in his ways. Or you know, you're just not, uh, I don't really see that. Or uh, that's not really going to be helpful for that person. I tell you. That he is amazing. He'll transform people. He will give the transforming grace that they need. But you have to be willing to share it. You have to be willing to talk about it. And that really brings us to the reason of why we use the Bible. And so that's the next question we are going to look at. And so I encourage you to turn over 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Again, I want you to see these truths that come from here. And so that's page 996 if you have uh, one of our pew Bibles. And so why we use the Bible, when 
we can look at our modern day and age. I mean, there's always new discoveries happen. There's so much wealth of information. We live in an incredible information age. Why do we, when all that's at our excess, why do we go back to a book that was completed almost 2,000 years ago? Anything that was 2,000 years ago, we would look at it and say, that's archaic. That can't actually be used now. But what I would say is the reason is really why this is useful is because of the exact truth that it declares in 2 Timothy 3.16-17. through 17. It says in 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. This breathed out guy by God, I would say, is the most significant foundational truth in this verse and really for all the rest of Scripture. Because everything that comes from Scripture is built on this. And the fact it says breathed out really reminds us that this, what we possess in our hands, this truth, this Bible, these 66 books, this is not just some thing that men came up in their own concepts or that their finiteness tried to figure out well, what it was. No, this came from God. And so when we consider that, that we have to understand that this possesses total authority over our life. Because this did not come from creation. This came from the creator. The very one who knit us together, the very one who sees our hearts and our struggles. He knows everything. And so as a designer, of course, he gets to dictate how we live. It's not optional. How we believe, how we understand, it's not optional. He is the one that has authority over it, and he has given it to us. The other thing is, the Bible, then it has to be completely sufficient because God is omniscient and holy. The reason that's so important is that God knows man's capabilities. He knows our propensities. He knows our depravity. He sees into the heart of man, every single one, and knows exactly what we think, exactly what we do. And so as he's concerned, like Ben shared earlier, like he is a his understanding is so much more than what can be contained in here. Like he, ne- he looks at eternity and he looks over time and he knew everything. He knows everything. He knows the cures for cancer. He knows it all. Yet, in a condensed version, he goes, you know what? In just a small little book, I'll give everything that man needs. I'll give them everything they need to actually live this life in a godly way. Doesn't mean there's not other graces he shows along the way, but this is sufficient. So when cancer comes, we know how to walk through it. When sickness comes, we know how to respond. When hardships, we're in a COVID period, right? That's coming to an end, it seems like. He knew about it. And so he knew that would come in our days. And so what did he do? He gave us the scriptures to actually walk through it, to understand how he's working behind it. And so we have all that. It doesn't mean we know all the complexities, but it means that we have whatever is necessary to live through those complexities. And because he is holy, it can't have any mistakes. Because God is incapable of making a mistake. So he did not forget to address something that man needed. It's not like he woke up, you know, the morning after Scripture. He's like, all right, Scripture's clearly lead. Ah, I forgot this point. Oh, man, I left man without. It's not like he got to the 21st century, modern things come through. And he's like, oh, shoot. Yeah, they're not going to know how to walk through this. No, he gave it all. And so we have to then trust that he did not leave a stone unturned. He knew, knows the simplicities and the complexities, and that he then looked at this word and said, they can interpret everything, and they can walk in a godly way in everything that comes their way. It's incredible. And it's really sufficient for all time because God's not bound by time. As he was giving this to the people who were writing out the scriptures, he didn't say like, oh, this is only for this context. This is only for this. And there's some challenging things you have to work through. You have to understand like what, what, what's going on there. And we do want to consider the historical context he's in, but it doesn't violate. It doesn't take away. There's nothing we can look at and say, oh, that's off the board. 
No, we have to understand that it's within the context, but it's applicable even for the modern day. So this is what you possess. This is what you possess, the God-breathed word. And so, but he also tells us it's very profitable. And it's very useful. And it's what he's tell, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training righteousness. This is the grid we can pass all things through. So really this teaching has really given us the instruction of what perspective, what belief, what understanding we need to actually live our lives in this world. So he gave this understanding that he knew this is what you'll need for all generations. He gave us perspective through our trials, the right perspective to understand sin and suffering within the world. That's hard. I sit with a lot of sufferers, a lot of people who are struggling, a lot of things that were done to people that they had no control over, and yet I can have confidence that I can sit down with them, give them the help and hope of Christ because, again, it came directly from God. But it also gives reproof. Reproof is really, it means conviction, or in other words, it refutes any error people have in their understanding. So what it helps us do is to look at the beliefs and understanding of this world system and it goes, you can look through scripture to gain understanding and correct that. So when we hear other things, when we hear other people, when our friends are giving us counsel, guess what? You have to pass it through this word to see, does this actually align with God, what God wants? Correction, this word actually means to stand up right again is that God's word actually guides us in how to repent of our sin. And so when we see, like, we're convicted, like, oh, I'm in sin, like, God actually corrects us, corrects our understanding, corrects our behavior by unveiling to us in God's word. And all this is at your access. The last thing is this training in righteousness. And this training is really, is the training that will be necessary to live in God's will, which we all talk about. And sometimes it's this, uh, foggy thing, but God's will is his word. Like we can know how to live it by looking and studying at his word and living it out. And what's the result? Well, it's the fact that then we become the man, it says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In fact, this is what James Adam says. J. Adam, sorry. So what God wants each one to know about faith, what he should believe and life, what he should do, may be found here. It's an absolute standard given by God for human living. So that's, again, what we possess. That's the opportunity we have. And so it's profitable for the person transformed by Christ to have the capability to live for God with the right heart, the right thoughts, the right perspective. He also equips us through his salvation. He equips us to know and what to do and how to live out our actions and responsibilities for him. So believers in Christ have the spiritual ability and tools to live like Christ because he says so. So what great hope we have, and really how we should look at that and and really consider that, is that this is our lens for living life. So many of you wear sunglasses or maybe you have uh, glasses to help you see. And if you know, like, the reason that you need those things is at times, like, when I go outside, like that bright, shining sun bears down on me, it's hard for me to see. And so what I do is I want to put on sunglasses to help discern, help to see just exactly maybe where I'm going, or help me see people in a clearer way. And so for me, like the other, uh, I was out of town one day, and I realized I forgot my sunglasses. And it was so bright. I was like, what in the world? So I knew, I was like, now, I just want to find a place that has sunglasses. And so I found the cheapest sunglasses you could find. And so these are them right here. And so recently I was hanging out with a friend, Tim McCown. He's one of the elders here at our church. And if you looked at my sunglasses and his sunglasses, you would say, man, those are identical. But they are not. And so for me, when he goes, uh, I put, you know, these sunglasses, what they do is they, they kind of make everything yellow. They really have, like, make it darker and good. Great for the sun, but, like, if I try to walk through here, man, I'm not going to see anything. And so he goes, he had this certain brand, and he goes, you know what? You should check out these sunglasses. Like, uh, sure, man. He's like, no, they're so much better. They're going to be some. I'm like, I'm sure. And my expectation is like, okay, they might look a little less yellow, 
Maybe it's a little bit brighter. So I was like, okay, I'll try them. I'll see what they are. I put those sunglasses on, and I was like, whoa. Like, I saw real color, real clarity. I could see distinctions that I cannot see with these. Right? Because his sunglasses were far superior than the ones that I possess. And so what I realized is one thing in the moment is like, sunglasses aren't made all the same. Sunglasses can look similar, but can be very different. And that's the same thing that we have. So many times, the world wants to tell us what to believe, what to understand, how to look at the world, and they make it even sometimes sound so complex. But what we have here is the superior lens to look through, to interpret, to discern. Because looking through the lens of God's word will transform the way we look and act in the world. And really, for our understanding is we need to really think through this statement. So the team's going to put it up behind me. But it's the Bible is the authoritative source with which all truth claims, including claims by science and history, must be evaluated. As a result, we reject all counseling theories that use presuppositions, principles, and or methodologies that are inconsistent with the proper interpretation of the biblical texts. You see, what it's not saying here is we're not saying like, okay, if it's not the Bible, you reject it all. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is that as these truth claims come into our world, as we hear, for example, science says, hey, the earth is billions and billions of years old and it happened by this big bang theory. I'm like, no, it didn't. It doesn't matter how many potential facts that you tried to put on that. I know from Genesis 1, it didn't happen that way. And as we think through, like, the counsel that's given into us in the world, if we're not passing it through to really consider, like, now if somebody gives me counsel from a different resource and says, hey, you need to be kind and loving, yeah, you're right. Because this word says so. This is the truth that says so. And so we need to make sure that as we're considering, and there's things that are outside. God, again, didn't give us complete understanding. For example, he knows what the cure of cancer is. He knows exactly what we need. He didn't share it with us because he knew it didn't make the chopping block for what is necessary for life and godliness. And so we need to make sure that we are passing through that, making sure we're examining that in our own lives. So let's go back to Garrett and Tony. And so how did Garrett... Higby, guide Tony, who is diagnosed with bipolar. Listen to what he says. He says, we never minimize the seriousness of the problems that bipolar diagnosis signifies. In other words, we didn't say, hey, Jesus, you just need Jesus. Need more Jesus. That's not what he said. No, instead, we listened carefully. We gave them hours more than they had received in other counseling. I mean, it takes time to do this. Soul care takes time, intention, love. And then they provided an understanding that was superior to the secular one because it reflected God's truth. Tony and Lisa each reported that it was a turning point in their lives with God and each other. Again, Tony found freedom when God's diagnosis and treatment of the problem was given because it's superior. And so God knows. He's, he was the designer, so he knows exactly what we need. And so that's what we possess in the Word. And so now we understand, okay, we possess this in His Word. We know we can look at it. We can examine everything through life. So then who does soul care? Well, if you turn over to 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17, you'll see the opportunity we have. You see, since God's transformation and Word are superior, we now have the we have to have people who will commit to giving soul care. In order for us to have a soul care culture, we need people to actually provide. So who is this people going to be? Is it just the professionals? Again, I am thankful for professionals. I'm thankful that when I get sick enough and concerned, see, I'm not a doctor guy, and 
It's more foolishness, so don't take pride if you're like, I'm not a doctor guy either. No, I'm not a doctor guy, and it's cost me a few times, and afterwards I can share you some stories. But when I get sick and when I feel sick enough that I'm ready to go to a doctor, like that means it's bad. Probably way, I should have gone to doctors days, weeks before. It's bad. So I'm thankful that I can go to a professional who knows my anatomy, who can do an examination on me and say, hey, this is what you're struggling with. This is the sickness you have. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for plumbers. You know, if pipes burst, I'm glad I can call someone up who has more knowledge than me to fix that. I'm glad there's other pastors. I'm thankful for Pastor Jeff who has more knowledge base for this word and how to interpret than I do. I'm thankful for experts. What I'm going to say, though, is soul care is not reserved for just experts. In fact, there are many experts in the field of biblical counseling and soul care who I lean on heavily at times to walk me through hard situations. But what I can understand is that if I have the capability to actually walk somebody through, and even at times maybe stumble people through, but I know because I possess his word. So every person who has tasted the sweet transformation of Christ has the call to deliver the message of help and hope of Christ to every person in every situation. So look at 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. It says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of the word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God and the sight of God, we speak in Christ. See, if you read that passage, you not being in this context, you might struggle with it. Because what is this triumphal procession that he's talking about? How this imagery just does not make sense. Well, again, original author, original audience, you have to consider. But what it helps us to do is to actually look back at history, look back at it, and help us then to understand it in our modern times, and then helps us to apply it to our modern world. So, he says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession. See, these triumphal processions... We're actually processions that would come after the Romans won a victory. After a battle they won, they would start having this almost parade-like atmosphere that would travel town to town as people went back home, as the ruler went back home. And so when you entered in a town, you would hear the noises of the triumphal procession. And so in this procession, the one, the leader, whether that was a general or whether that was uh, the um, emperor himself, they would be in the front of this procession because they were seen as the victor. And so when we look here, it says that Christ is leading us in this triumphal procession, meaning victory is won. He's had victory. He had victory over sin and death. He is, as we were saying, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. There is no other. It doesn't matter what battles come into this life. He is always going to be king. And so he's leading us in this triumphal procession. The other thing is that we necessarily don't get is that we, what we don't understand is like when you look at the Roman per, triumphal procession is that yes, there were soldiers. Yes, there was the leaders. Yes, there were people who were really excited about the victory, but there was also captives. There was people who had been conquered who would be imprisoned and they were either going to go to slavery or they were going to death. And so as Paul reflects here, he's really not seeing himself as the soldier, but as one of the captives. And so these captives would walk, walk alongside of the victor. And so when we consider who we are in Christ, we are captives. Because we are one out of the slavery of sin to the slavery of life. To the slavery of Christ. And so we have to understand that we now, that's not an option that we get, but it's a duty that we have to be part of this triumphal procession. Then it goes on to say, for we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And so one of the things, or sorry, just before that, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him. One of the things about these processions is that they'd be burning incense along the way. 
And so there'd be incredible incense. And what they did, it was for the worship of a false god. And this false god would be represented with a statue or some type of uh, emblem or something that would be carried along. And so they were seeing this as a burning of incense for the worship of the victory to God, their false god. But here, we, in what God or what Paul's trying to give us understanding is to show that God is the one who's being worshiped for the victory. See, God and Christ, God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, all are being worshiped as what? As we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You see, we get the opportunity to spread this incense as a worship to God. And the knowledge of him is all contained in here. It's not just like, hey, Jesus Christ saves everybody, that's it. No, this knowledge, though all that's possessed, it's everywhere, every problem, every circumstance. We have the opportunity to bring the knowledge of that into people's lives who are hurting, who need help. But look at the responses. You think like, oh, yes, everybody's going to love it. Well, no, it doesn't say that. So, again, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. But look at verse 16. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and the other, a fragrance from life to life. What does that mean? Well, in this setting, there'd be two responses to the Roman triumphal procession. For the ones who were excited about the Roman Empire spreading, who were excited about what the Roman life offered, they would be excited that, oh, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity like, for better conditions, better living, Right? And so that would be exciting for them, life to life. It was a great smell. But guess what? For the captives who were defeated or the cultures who would have this go through their land, guess what they smelled? It was death. Because they lost loved ones. They lost control. They have to come under the Roman rule now. That could be very oppressive at times. So we can see when we start spreading that knowledge of him everywhere, some are going to see it as death. They're not going to like what's being said. They're not going to like to hear what's going on. And I attest that this is true. I've sat in many sessions, many opportunities, and I share God's word, knowing that this will be their hope, this will be their help, and they reject it. And I'm not saying they're like, oh, I didn't tell it right, or I need to tell it better. No, I know that from this that they're not the audience that's going to accept it and walk in it. And I pray for them that they will. But for others, it's life. It's freedom. It helps them. And so we don't get to determine whether we do it or not. We are called to do it, and that's why Paul continues to do it. But we have to understand that, when we, that soul care is, the one method, is a method to actually spread the knowledge of God and the victory of Christ everywhere. And so we need to spread into people's lives as we help them, as they're expressing their hurts, as they're expressing, I can't seem to overcome this. Like, this is where we go. This is the opportunity we are given. And so when we consider that, that's exactly the same freedom we offer in Christ to actually live differently. In fact, listen to how Tony, who was diagnosed with bipolar, received the aroma of Christ. He said, when he this is coming from the counselor, when he saw the superiority of Christ for his situation, it changed his life. By hearing God's perspective on his behavior, he saw that he was not sick, but he said he saw himself as a sinner, struggler, who could find freedom through sanctification. And so that's what we have the opportunity to do with soul care. We get to come alongside people and show them freedom that can come from repentance and sanctification in their life. And so we have to understand this calling is a great calling, one that you are responsible for and one that you walk through. And guess what? It's for any situation. There's some tough ones. So my experience, I've been doing biblical counseling for 10 years. So if you're a biblical counselor who's trained, who has their degree in it, guess what? A lot of people won't come to you. And I'm very thankful that I get to do this ministry. But there's some tough cases. I've had people who sat in front of me and have struggled with and been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And the reason they are is they, they, they have delusions. They see things. They hear things. And so as a counselor, like, my first instinct is like, stop listening or seeing those things. But that's not biblical counseling. That's my own. 
And so when I actually started researching and considering, like, how do I best help this person? I realized that it wasn't to get them to stop it. It wasn't to get them to stop seeing or stop hearing. I couldn't guarantee those things would go away. Now, they might be able to give medications that can, you know, pacify that and maybe quiet those voices. And some people have been truly helped by it. I'm not denying that. But what I could do for that person was not allow them to be, have that voice be authoritative over them. I was able to bring them the voice that can be authoritative for their life. So when these visions or when these, what they're hearing told them to do something other than contrary to God's word, I said, hey, guess what? You have the power of Christ. You don't have to actually live according to those delusions. You can actually live right relationship with him. And so that's just one way and one situation. And so what I want to do here is just leave you with resources. We're, we're out of time. But probably like how I feel right now is I scratch the surface. There's so much more depth that I haven't been able to put on here. So I just want to give you a few resources. First of all, I just want to equip you. I want to equip you uh, to do this. And so one way that we equip our church is right now through our small groups. And right now we're having small group step one. And what small groups step one does, it helps you be equipped with one another's. And really the one another's are the soul care ministry. It's just not giving counsel, but there's many other complexities to it that we can find in God's word. And so that's an opportunity for you. If you're not in a small group and want to know more how to do it, sign up for small group step one or be joined a small group. Another thing is we have resources galore. We are blessed in an information age. There are physical resources, digital resources. They come in all forms. And so one way we provide that is just out here outside the cafe, we have resources for sale. And after these is our resources for sale to just help guide you. And they give like, there's a bunch of booklets that we have here and also in our office that are quick reads for specific situations. So like I said, bipolar, there's a resource for that. There's people for anxiety, there's a resource for that. Marriage conflict, there's a resource for that. We have, there's a lot of resources out there and we don't even have them all yet. Those are resources that we possess. We also have a library where you can check out resources. Like I said, there's some complex stuff. Like this book in our, is available in our library to check out, Counseling the Hard Cases. And this is, again, a great resource to walk through some hard situations. So it's things like this, where experts, well, I would say experts, people who study and have the experience can walk through it. And what it does, it will equip you, empower you to walk people through similar circumstances. Another book that I would recommend to you is Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And this is really if you want some training. This, will, this book kind of summate, puts in a quick, distinct sum of what it looks like to actually give other people soul care. And so this is a great resource uh, that you can grab. We have some for sale at the library, hopefully still. Um, but you can grab that or grab it on Amazon or even check out our library. Here's some other resources. So there's digital resources galore out there. One of those digital and physical resources is the Journal of Biblical Counseling. This is a biblical counseling book that spans over uh, 50 years. So you can find just different complexities and resources in that. Another one's biblicalcounselingcoalition.org. That's going to have a lot of blogs about different things. Biblicalcounseling.com provides you other blogs, other trains, other articles. Um, and also ccf.org, which authors the biblical Journal of Biblical Counseling, has a bunch of resources too. So well, I want you, so I just want you to walk away and feel resourced and give you guides on how to actually be a part of this and live differently and be able to feel equipped to do it. 